to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and Institutes of Children's Ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast. I'm Sean McKinley, and joining me is my co-host, Joy Hensley. Hey, Joy, how are you today? Doing great. Yeah, we're here for another great podcast. Mm-hmm. We've been doing our Spiritual Discipline series. We have. We've had a couple of episodes from our Institute of Children's Ministry presenters, and we have another great one today as we're actually nearing the end of this mm-hmm. special series, aren't we? Yep. Coming down to it. Yeah, so we had some great feedback from the last couple of speakers. Uh, really enjoyed uh, Dr. Bishop Sutton last month, who spoke to us on prayer. And so today we have a topic that is closely associated, I think, with prayer. Of course, all the disciplines are connected somehow, but mm-hmm. it seems like today's topic really uh, connects with the whole uh, idea of prayer being intimacy with God. And this is just another one of those disciplines, actually a couple of disciplines, Mm -hmm. that help us in that pursuit of drawing closer to God. Yeah, we're going to be talking about silence, solitude, and also Sabbath. Yeah, so uh, today we want to go ahead and welcome our our guests for today, Marsha Robinson. Marsha is the Communications and Publications Coordinator for the International Offices of the Church of God of Prophecy. She is the Managing Editor for the White Wing Messenger, and has extensive experience writing and editing for secular and Christian organizations. Marcia greatly enjoys helping other authors and has been uh, actually a ghost writer and an editor for several published works. Marcia has served on planning committees for several Christian publishing industry conferences and was a contributing writer for the Royal Books Anthology, I Believe in Miracles. Marsha works with us. She's actually a floor mate of ours here on the third floor of the international offices. It's been a great blessing and encouragement to our ministries. She is an ordained uh, minister with, of course, the Church of God of Prophecy. She's a conference speaker, and she writes for an online devotional. Uh, She's been involved in community chaplaincy ministry for many years, preaching and sharing the love of Jesus on a regular basis. And Marsha and her husband, Bryant, have two adult children, Jonathan and Jasmine. So we're just so honored to have Marsha here with us today. Hey, Marsha. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so Marsha, we uh, invited you actually in November to come to the Institute of Children's Ministry. It was your first experience with us. Yes, it was uh, wonderful. Yeah, you wore a couple of hats. Um, and so why don't you tell us just a little bit about that experience before we get started? It was... Um, a marvelous opportunity to meet children's ministers and to interact with people who needed. We did a a new thing uh, at ICM. Uh, We had what was called the Branding Hub, and we helped uh, different ministries with their branding and logos and planning of events. We did a little bit of everything helping uh, out of the communications department. It's been my heart Uh, since I have been the coordinator of that department to serve ministries and to serve people outside the walls of the international offices with the skills that we have. Sure, and we heard such great Mm -hmm. feedback. We had several pastors who were in attendance and camping ministry leaders who were just like, uh, every dime that we spent to come to ICM was worth it because of the branding hub. And of course now maybe throughout the summer, some people will see some of the works that you created uh, right. beyond children's ministry, but for camping right. ministry. So it was so good to be with you guys. So again, Marcia, thanks for being with us today. We're looking forward to the next few minutes together talking about the spiritual disciplines of silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Um, before we dive in, though, um, those who are regular listeners, all five of them, to our <laughs> podcast, there are a few more than Gee. that. <laughs> Uh, There are a few more. Uh, We typically like to begin these interviews by asking people about their calling, and you're certainly free to share about that, but we're kind of making a transition now um, because we, of course, 
want to be reminded of the importance of what many of our children's ministry leaders are. That's a presence in the life of the children they serve. So we wanted to ask you today if you might share were there any influencers as a young child or young adult um, that really impacted your formation as not only just a minister, but what you would later do in life that you could tell us about? Oh, absolutely. What a blessed life I have lived. Um, I take seriously the Bible's instruction that to whom much is given, much will be required. And so many people invested their time and energy into me. I'm a Christian serving other Christians today because that was modeled to me. A young married couple named Lewis and Hazel Schwartz taught me the wonderful foundational truths of the Bible with so much love and kindness and patience when I was very young. They taught me to be faithful to the Lord and to His church. I credit them with uh, the foundation that uh, I have of the biblical truths and my love of the church. And then as an elementary school-age child, two women, Dorothy Johnson and Florence Brandt, were a team who used uh, one of the main uh, technological wonders of those years, the film strip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but they did other things too. Illustrated stories about kids living the Christian life. They made it real for us. They taught me to love and develop relationships. Oh, and can't leave out VBS and music and hands-on activities and treats and spiritual experiences. Uh, Spiritual experiences lead me to think about camp and the people that uh, took weeks out of their lives to invest in children. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 11 years old at camp. Sister Herndon was a fixture, and I was always the one who portrayed her in the funny skits and she laughed right along with everybody else she taught me to be strong and I appreciate all of those people there were people in my youth that invested into me and as a young adult I was invited to uh, be on staff at a a little church outside of my town and uh, those people uh, developed me as a minister also Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Marcia's got a great testimony about uh, experiencing baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that you can watch that maybe on our, our YouTube channel. Uh, but we just love, we know that we can't take for granted the presence of those adults in a child's life and the right. impact that they make. Right. So I think Joy's going to ask you a few questions particular to your workshop at ICM. Yeah. So we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And as we know, discipline can be difficult. Um, It takes a lot physically, mentally, all of that come into play. And so at ICM, you shared a little bit about the role and function of the brain Mm -hmm. when it comes to discipline. So I wanted to know if you could just start us off by talking about the science behind brain function and how it's related to spiritual disciplines. Well, Scripture calls it the flesh. Um, We're driven by our flesh, which operates through our brains to develop bad habits and think it's too hard to develop good habits. We don't want to eat half a pie, but we had a bad day and our brain told us it would help us feel better because uh, it knows that those chemicals will be released in our brains and, and we will, for a time, feel better. But there's consequences to every action, right? So we hear about the practice of spiritual disciplines. They sound like a roadmap to a closer relationship with God. And we start out wanting to do all the spiritual things. And then we get bored. Or worse, we turn it into a ritual that feeds our flesh rather than disciplines it. And we get frustrated because the Bible says the flesh cannot receive the things of God. So we quit. But like Paul, who penned those words about not doing what he wanted to do and doing what he didn't want to do, the one who can deliver us from this body of death is Jesus Christ. This body of death is always looking for ways to develop bad habits. This body of death will fight us tooth and nail to not develop any habit that requires 
or causes it to die. And that's the spiritual disciplines. Yes, God can deliver us from bad habits or addiction in an instant, but he verily he, he very rarely, I was trying to be spiritual there and say verily, <laughs> he very rarely does a pseudo changeo, presto changeo, to make us spiritually disciplined instantaneously. As Joy said, discipline by its very nature requires work. And the Bible acknowledges it is not joyous. It is grievous is the King James word. That's in Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the brain, the brain and its chemicals, which God designed, we'll get into this, God designed to work for us, but they're not yet glorified. We don't have our glorified bodies, so our the, those brain chemicals are subject to our sinful nature. They're driven and motivated by pleasurable experiences, not painful ones. These chemicals can sometimes work against us in forming bad habits. But if we're to grow spiritually, we're going to have to retrain our brain on its own turf. If I'm having trouble letting go of something or if something is hindering my race, that's what the Bible calls a weight or a besetting sin. But there are brain chemicals involved. Studies have shown that habits are formed in the brain by releasing chemicals that group the activities involved together so that we don't have to think as hard each subsequent time we perform that act. That means you have developed a habit. There are a million things we do every day without thinking. Brushing our teeth, I hope. Starting the coffee maker, unlocking our phone screen, maybe taking medicine, anything that is part of our routine, but what takes place in the brain as we learn a new habit. Chemicals are released in great quantities when you're forming a new habit or routine. They're dopamine, oxytocin, remember that one, we're going to talk about it in a minute, endorphins. They're called the bonding chemicals, and they're also the pleasure chemicals, and they all come into play when we're forming a new habit. So we have brain science to support the idea that habits are actually chemical bonds and stamped onto our brains. There are ways to replace the ones that are stunting our growth with better ones. What is, did you have any more questions about the brain function? I don't think so. I, I think just making that connection of, you know, this is how the body works in and of itself. So it is going to be a challenge for us as humans right. to fight that. Um, I, don't, I think sometimes we, we can forget about that too. Um, but, so thank you for reminding us, too, of that scripture, Hebrews twelve eleven. So we're going to begin by talking about silence. And you describe silence as a type, I never heard of this put that way before, as a type of fasting. So how is this perspective helpful to our understanding? Okay. Uh, I titled that portion of uh, my workshop, Let's Not Talk About It. When, when we're talking about silence, silence is going without speaking in order to quiet our minds and hold self and attend to God's presence. Also, it's not speaking so that we can listen to others and bless them. Silence is a type of fasting. Fasting is denying ourselves something we want or need in order to make space to focus on and connect with God. So with silence, we're giving up constant noise. We're giving up the fear of being alone with our thoughts. Some people are afraid of that, afraid of where their brain will go if they are silent or if they don't have music playing or podcasts or entertainment. Silence is also a choice to esteem another's speaking more than your own. Uh, Strengthening the Soul of Leadership was a textbook for one of my seminary classes. It tells of a leader of a global organization 
that rescues people around the world from all kinds of injustice. He and his entire staff sit still for 30 minutes each morning. Now imagine a staff of high-performing lawyers, criminal investigators, social workers, and other professionals in Washington, D.C., and offices across the developing world rushing into the office to begin their days faced with the task of fighting slavery, human trafficking, police abuse, and other forms of violent oppression. As these staff persons arrive at their desks, their first order of business is to stop. All phones are off, laptops closed, no email, no meetings, just silence for 30 minutes. Knowing how my day goes, first thing, it boggles my mind. Because on any given day, stillness and silence can be hard, even awkward and frustrating. We come to each day like a jar of river water that's been shaken. The water is murky, impossible to see through, but as the jar sits still, unmoved, the silt and sediment begin to settle. Clearer waters emerge. So too, in the stillness of silence, the mud and mire of our souls begin to settle, and clarity emerges. In silence, we become aware of the inner needs and desires that we bring to the day. Then we can talk to God, our good and loving Father, about what it is we actually need for that day, asking for His wisdom, His guidance, His grace to prevail. God is eager for us to be with Him, to know His love and His goodness, even as He calls us to lead with great courage in the world around us. Doesn't matter who you are or what kind of work faces you on any given day, facing the demands that confront you and choosing to be still and wait on the Lord before rushing into action is a feat that only the Spirit of God can make possible. I talked about an organization that uses 12 steps. And we kind of, if we haven't been through that particular struggle, we kind of recoil from thinking we need to follow uh, 12 steps. But that organization has helped hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. And the thing is, when I was doing my research, nobody really knows why those steps work. There are 12 of them because the founder knew there were 12 disciples. As we know, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's not some scientific method, but God knew that to break a bad habit, especially a life-threatening one, we have to retrain our brains. We have to develop new habits, new friends, new hangouts. Here's the secret. You have to intentionally surround yourself with people who follow hard after God more than you do and develop their habits. Hang out with them like a recovering alcoholic goes to meetings. At first, we tell an alcoholic to go to 30 meetings in 30 days because to form a new habit, we have to repeat it. Make those groupings in our brains that we talked about that make it instinctive to do it. The practice of spiritual disciplines, the intentional choice to pursue a closer relationship with God, a daily 30, minute, 30 meetings in 30 days type pursuit has the potential to be, perhaps more than anything else, the very crucible of the world-altering transformation every Christian needs and longs for. I want to talk about that word crucible. I know I've talked a long time uh, without letting anybody else talk, but 
did you know that you're in a cauldron in your Christian walk? You're in a crucible. Does it feel like you go through periods of time when the heat is turned up? Malachi 3.3 says, God sits by the fire as a refiner of silver. You've heard sermons about that. We are all being purified. God is the silversmith. And that silver ore is in a cauldron so that he can, the silversmith can remove the impurities. God knows our process is finished when he can lean over the cauldron and see his reflection. That's beautiful to me. But here's the thing. Regular old dirt floats to the top. That's not a problem, but some impurities are chemically bound to that silver. Some things are part of what that silver is made of. Those things don't turn loose easily. So you know what a silversmith would do? Stoke the fire. Those times you feel things went from bad to worse, God is doing a special work. He is making you fit for His use strong and unbreakable. Richard Foster combines solitude and silence in the celebration of discipline, which is the most popular book about spiritual disciplines. But neither is completely dependent on the other. Silence can be practiced in public and solitude can be practiced without silence. Hmm. Well, that's a lot there, Marcia. That's some Sorry. good stuff. No, I... <laughs> I didn't want you to stop for a second there, but I, I, you know, as you talk and I'm, Joy knows I've kind of been on a process of these particular, this set of disciplines, trying to introduce them into my life. You mentioned Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, which is a book I didn't know you had read. Mm -hmm. And I came in one day saying, this is just the greatest book ever. And you, you were like, yeah, I know, I've already read it. <laughs> uh, but it, it really uh, convicted me about these disciplines in my own life. And... I wanted to ask you, when we think about silence, um, maybe more so than solitude, um, you know, we come, and a lot of the people who are listening, we're Pentecostals. We mm -hmm. come from the Pentecostal background and tradition. And we know that we have a history of being loud. Uh, it's it's an important part of our worship, you know, and our experience. And um, it's something that we are proud of. But how and why should we as Pentecostal believers embrace something that uh, seems almost the opposite of our trademark characteristics? And, and I know for me, it really is even uncomfortable because it's so mm -hmm. foreign to my experience. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, let me say uh, those brain chemicals I talked about have helped us Pentecostals greatly. Mm -hmm. Did you know you bond with people you laugh with mm -hmm. because of the brain chemicals that are released? Same is true for crying with someone. Same is true for eating something pleasurable with someone. That's our Wesleyan Pentecostal heritage mm -hmm. right there. Laughing, crying, eating. <laughs> <laughs> and all that says to me is God designed us to love each other, to be bonded with each other. And speaking of love, the first couple of years of being married were great for me. We'd only dated seven weeks, so we barely knew each other. So everything was new. We asked a lot of questions. We got to know each other. Discovering little things about each other was fun and adventure. And we still maintain that sense of discovery, the wonderful mystery of getting to know each other. We still ask questions every day. They're just different questions, like, do you have to do that right now? <laughs> There's a lot of yelling, what? From the other side of the house, too. There's another question for you. Another category of common questions involves smells. Did something die in here? <laughs> And my favorite question to ask my husband, what exactly is wrong with you? <laughs> 37 years. Each one of them a miracle. I'm not exaggerating. And now we're old. Long-term marriage is not for the weak, my friends. 
I do have a point. I'm not just rambling like an old person. My point is you can get to be my age. You can be married or single, empty nest, house full of kids, have had wonderful Pentecostal experiences, and still need to work on your relationship with others and with God. We still need to ask questions and listen. We still have habits that we need to let go of and new ones to make. It's a fact of biology that living things grow and change. Mm -hmm. So we can have those Pentecostal experiences, but we also need to live our best lives and the spiritual disciplines are a way to grow closer to God while Pentecostal. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, well, speaking of uh, sort of our Pentecostals, a lot of us are, are extroverts, but some of us are introverts. Um, and we know that, um, and I'm learning, that true solitude is more than just simply being alone. Uh, there's work, there's actual work that's involved in getting to that mm -hmm. place where transformation happens. So can you maybe talk a little bit to us about the, the work that's required to get to that deeper place where you're being formed like Christ and he's speaking to you? Yes. Well, like Julie Andrews said, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Doesn't she say it's a very fine place to start? Yeah. Uh, there's a plethora of scholarship out there that proves these practices are beneficial to your mind, your soul, your body, and your spirit. The whole person. So, I'm going to spring this on you. Let's walk through the steps. First of all, you identify a time or place that works well for you. For most people, that's going to be a hurdle. Finding time. I find first thing in the morning works best. You're rested, fresh, the day is young. But here's where the discipline part comes in. You're probably going to have to get up a little earlier to make room for this practice. But the good news is 10 minutes, 10 minutes earlier to start with. Now other people, a more optimal time might be late morning or a lunch break or after work or before they go to bed. Feel free to experiment until you find the right fit. And as far as the place, you, it, you need to be comfortable to practice solitude. Uh, a comfortable chair with a blanket works well for a lot of people. You can sit in the park or some other outdoor natural setting. And here's what's important. Set a modest goal. Don't mm -hmm. overdo it or think sure. if you don't do 30 minutes, you're a loser. Uh, beginners, it's best to start small. Work your way up. 10 minutes from start to finish, two to three days a week. And then intermediate, if you've already been practicing silence and solitude a few times a week, consider upping it to five to seven times a week. That's going to scare beginners. but And then advanced people, if you're already practicing silence and solitude daily, consider increasing the amount of time. So here's the steps. You put away everything that distracts you. Your phone, any screens, uh, other people, for most people, sitting with your back straight, let's do that. Sit with our back straight, drop your shoulders. That, that's a big thing. If you'll notice that, even throughout your day, your shoulders are lifted, and that increases your stress. So practice dropping your shoulders. Get your shoulders as far away from your ears <laughs> as you can. Um, feet flat on the floor. Now, there are some people that it's torture to sit still. And so you can do this walking or doing something simple with your hands, like folding laundry or drawing. Okay, Joy, Sean, do this with me. We're going to begin with breathing. And call it a, we're calling this a breathing prayer. 
We're getting in the mindset of being in the presence of the Lord. So you close your eyes and take long, deep, slow breaths. The best practice, because most of us are hyperventilating all day long and we don't realize it, is to breathe in on a count of four, hold that breath for four seconds, and then breathe out on four as you count. Make it even the amount that you're breathing in, you're holding it, and you're exhaling. And then you've got, as you, after you've done that several times, it's probably longer than you think before it feels natural to breathe like that. If you feel like you're gasping for breath, it's because you've been hyperventilating all day. So release the constant chatter in your mind. As quickly as you have a distracting thought, you can release it quickly. And just focus on your breathing. Your mind will seize this opportunity to run wild with thoughts, feelings, memories, a to-do list, and that's okay. <laughs> don't judge yourself. Don't feel bad. Give up or worry. Just when you notice your mind starting to wander, recenter with a quick prayer and exhale, Jesus or Father and come back to your breathing. In the beginning, just one or two minutes of this is a huge win. And 10 minutes is a home run. You're going to spend a few minutes abiding in the vine. And then you're going to transition from focusing on your breathing to practicing the presence of God. Notice God's presence all around you, in you. For some people, it's helpful to imagine the Father sitting on a chair across from you. Make it a practice to welcome His love, joy, and peace from the Holy Spirit. And listen for God's voice. The main goal is to simply Keep company with Jesus. Don't feel like you have to do anything. Just relax and enjoy His presence. Some people say, well, I'll fall asleep. <laughs> and that's okay. How many times did you fall asleep in your mother's arms, in your father's arms? That's all you're doing. If you're there to spend time with the Lord, falling asleep is okay too. And then close in a prayer of gratitude and commit the rest of your day to the Father. You cannot succeed or fail at this practice. Get that out of your mind. All you can do is show up. This takes some people years to master. Resist the urge to say, I'm bad at this or this isn't for me. Don't judge yourself, especially if you're an overachiever type. I'm looking at you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're doing this on a walk or at, while doing a stretching exercise, apply the same idea to a walking prayer and just focus on your walking instead of your breathing because your breathing is going to vary if you're walking, if you're moving around. So focus on each step that you take and follow the rest of the steps. So, Joy, how did that idea of breathing prayer hit you? It's very calming. Very calming? Good. At first, though, when, when I called it a breathing prayer, did it sound stupid or uncomfortable or what is this? Um, I think for a lot of people, like we were talking about, it could be very uncomfortable. Yeah, and I'm going to ask the listeners to consider their first thoughts about it. And then think about this. What challenges will you face in carving out time for silence and solitude? And how can you work around those challenges? The Bible tells us to plan if we're going to build something. If we're going to build this new habit, this new practice, let's plan. 
and consider how we're going to work around the challenges. Let's transition and talk about Sabbath for just a minute. Um, for me personally, Sabbath looks a little difficult just because Sunday is what most people would consider their normal Sabbath and the weekend. They're usually more busy and stressful. Um, so how can we ensure that we're receiving healthy rest in body and spirit as ministry leaders? Well, for people in ministry, I will remind you, the Bible says that one day is not better or higher than the other. So your task is to pick another day and use that day to practice Sabbath. We can call any of the seven days of the week a Sabbath and be perfectly in line with Scripture. Did you know that biologists have proven that some processes of the human body are on a seven-day cycle? Let me, let me take a little side jog here. My husband worked for Whirlpool. He shared with me that he often gets calls from people who say a code displayed on their stove uh, says S-A-B or sometimes they say it's 5-A-B because of the way the display looks. They say that code is showing and my stove won't work. They think it's some kind of mm -hmm. uh, you know, signal that something's broken. But indeed, S-A-B stands for Sabbath and they make mm -hmm. stoves that turn themselves off on the Sabbath. Uh, they have that feature so that observant Jews can make the stove incapable of cooking on the Sabbath. The commandment from Sinai about Sabbath starts with remember. And there are uh, denominations that still remember that originally the Sabbath was Saturday. We've got Seventh-day Adventists. There's Seventh-day Baptists. Uh, there are people that still practice uh, a Saturday Sabbath. But the Bible says it was made for man, not the other way around. Um, remember I talked about those seven-day cycles in the body. You know, we have circadian rhythms, which are 24-hour rotational um, cycles in our body that coincide with day and night. Different things happen to our bodies and our body chemistry whether it's day or night but there's also and I hope I say this right circuseptin rhythm and it's a thing it's a seven day cycle that correlates with the uh, geomagnetic fields of the earth they also are on a seven day cycle um, it affects brainwave patterns reaction times uh, altered melatonin and serotonin production so there's something built into us that we need to pay attention to every seven days giving our body a rest sabbath is good for us it was made for us because god made us with that seven day cycle do you remember when Sundays were different? Uh, there were no ball games, no grocery shopping. We didn't cook at home, and we took a nap every Sunday. But nowadays, in our culture, the discipline of rest can be the most challenging, even though it's an inactive discipline. It's you don't do something. You know, most of the other disciplines, you have to do something. But Sabbath is you don't do anything because that's the point. Rest is hard because we're always on the go. Um, but God designed this Sabbath practice for one day a week, and we can practice it for shorter periods too. We can fast work. We can fast our own will and our busyness by practicing Sabbath. It started in Genesis. Seventh day, God finished His work that He had done and He rested on the seventh day. That's kind of mysterious. God rested not because He was tired, but He rested because He was through. 
we remember, we mark and memorialize that God's work is good, it's complete, it's enough when we set apart time for holy rest. I was uh, this week uh, reading about someone describing their Sabbath routine. And they were saying that they had difficulty actually setting aside a full day. Right. But they looked at it as a 24-hour period. So for her, she was someone in ministry, like all of us in this room and probably most listening, um, that their Sabbath began on at 1 p.m. on Sunday, and she treated it as a 24-hour mm-hmm. cycle until mm-hmm. 1 p.m. on Monday. And so I think there's some creative ways. But another thing that I thought was interesting... Um, and I think it's good counsel is uh, when introducing Sabbath routines and rhythms into your life, you have to let the people around you know. Right. Your family, your children, uh, those who are impacted by you no longer being in doing mode, but I'm taking a Sabbath and explain to them why it is. And uh, I know in my own life, I have three small children, so the thought of Sabbath feels very impossible just being honest, you know. Uh, but as we've talked through, how do these rhythms look for our lives? Mm-hmm. Certainly something as a family, we have to come to an understanding about, right. you know. And I think that's an important factor. And, when talk and about model Sabbath. it to our families. Yeah. Uh, Sabbath is not necessarily solitude. Right. You can incorporate your family into your Sabbath. I mean, that from ages, ages past, observant. Jews uh, weren't forbidden to interact with their family on the Sabbath. Actually, it was a a family practice. A family. It was a time to be with your family. So yeah. And what this person that I was uh, listening to was describing how one of the things they really enjoy doing is preparing good quality meals for their family. Mm. And the pace of their life doesn't allow them to do that. So even some of us looking at it as very strict rules of sabbath you know uh she was describing i do i i cook a nice meal i invest the time uh because that's part of my rest that's part of my relaxation and how i can still show love to my family Uh, and they look forward to mom's sabbath because it means they're going to get a really good homemade meal (laughs) so and for ministers i think it's important to remember that it's spiritual rest too yeah that uh you don't take the phone calls, you know, it, it it's important to uh, take time to spiritually rest. Okay, well, Marsha, we don't want the day to pass without talking about kids. So, why might you think these disciplines are important for us to teach kids at a young age? And do you have any creative ways that we can encourage kids to participate in these slower-paced disciplines? Um, well... We, we model everything. We're, we're, we're training adults. You know, we are trying to build spiritually healthy adults. Um, and little people need smart, smaller time frames. You know, the, the, the guideline about discipline, corrective discipline, is one minute per year of age, right? So the same thing would be uh, applicable to spiritual disciplines, and you teach them, you know, you teach them by their age level. Uh, one minute of being silent is about all a one-year-old, you know, you, but you, you add uh, motivation to participate in this with the typical things like holding them, or if they're your own child, you know, patting them, touching them. Um, if they're not your own child, soft music, something pleasurable, and say, you know, the silent game was invented by somebody that practiced spiritual <laughs> disciplines. It's not just for mom's nerves, mm-hmm. you know. Being silent for a period of time. Set a timer, you know, two minutes for a two-year-old. Um and in groups, you know, it make sure that the child knows there's an end to this coming. They're more likely to participate. 
and like I said before about including your family in your Sabbath and including uh, your family in the practice of solitude to teach it to them and then let them have a time to just be by themselves it doesn't mean without any kind you're not you don't sit in um, solitary confinement with nothing they can have their lovey or their uh, toys but they're they're having time to themselves so it's a matter of training them and modeling it in front of them so uh, a, a question here we've been doing a lot of research lately with uh, here in international children's ministries we did a survey of our children's ministry leaders concerning uh, the spiritual disciplines and uh, sort of how they evaluated those um, in relation to their own personal discipleship journey and walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, solitude and Sabbath was the lowest rated, uh, you know, as of importance in their walk. You know, there were things like prayer and Bible study and fellowship and all these things. Why do you think that that is? Why is that not? Why is this not a discipline that's at the front of our minds and attention? Do you think it's that we've just edged it out so much in our own walk, our own journey, that we just don't make room for it and we don't think about it? Or what do you think? Well, it's a fight. It's a noisy world we live in. It's a busy world we live in. And you have to go against the flow, you know, to do that. But, you know, I would challenge people that Sabbath, for one, is, you know, the only one of the spiritual disciplines... Well, I, I can't say that. You can extrapolate some of them out to to apply to spiritual disciplines. But the Sabbath is mentioned by name <laughs> in the Ten Commandments. Right. You know, God communicated that to his people centuries and centuries ago. And I think we need to strive against the grain, against the flow of society uh, to do that. And, and I said it before, and this doesn't sound fun, but... It, any practice that draws us closer to God involves lessening the uh, power of our flesh. And our flesh fights against dying. It doesn't want to die. We have a natural fear of death and uh, dying spiritually to our desires and uh, our wants. And even busyness can be an addiction Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we need to know that there is a benefit from practicing that these disciplines. There is uh, pleasure in them once you train your mind uh, to to practice them. Sure, and I many people involved in children's ministry, at least in our network, are volunteer. Mm-hmm. So it means usually on top of already a busy work week and family week and now ministry week, it's very, I think it's very hard for us to process how do I get into a rhythm of these things that Marsh is describing. Um, and for us, the research was we want to see is it even registering with people because if mm-hmm. not, we want to give attention to it because it is so important that we... Because I think without these disciplines, there's a lot of price that we pay, prices that we pay. Uh-huh. But one of them is most definitely we. It leads to exhaustion, right? And unproductivity in what we're trying to do for the Lord. We're so busy doing it, right? Um, that we. I know it's cliche, but we're not just being human beings in His presence because we're so busy being human doings. That's what I heard recently. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so if someone's listening today as we wrap up and they're saying, you know, something Marcia said has struck a beat with me, um, do you have any resources that you would recommend to them so that they can get a better understanding or idea how do I begin this journey of introducing these into my life? Um, well, I would recommend you start with Richard Foster. He's the most well-known, well-read author uh, who breaks down and provides common sense uh, practices for the spiritual disciplines. And then Henry Nguyen mm-hmm. um, writes extensively about the spiritual disciplines. And you can take this back. I mean, there's 
copious, copious amounts of devotionals and Bibles geared to the spiritual disciplines and uh, all kinds of materials, charts and uh, calendars. I mean, you if you Google it, you'll find plenty. Uh, and you can trace this all the way back to uh, monastics of the, you know, before the year 1000, uh, who were called the Desert Fathers, that they they removed themselves, uh, and not from community. They would have communities of, but from society, we'll say, they from the busyness of that time. Uh, and there's writings uh, from all the church fathers, you know, Augustine and... Um, Origin and Clement. <laughs> uh, if you want to go that far into it, there's so much substantiation for it being a worthwhile uh, practice and to to better facilitate the presence of God in your life. And that that's really what we all want, but we substitute other. Sure other things for the pursuit of that so and i'll mention because i've been diving into her writings you and i have both mentioned ruth haley barton's uh, yes. strengthening the soul of your leadership and now i'm reading a book by her called sacred rhythms and she has podcasts as well that uh, i think are very uh, easy introductions inter into introducing all of this into your lifestyle and i think i really liked your encouragement a few moments ago just start a small right. victory toward. Right. Uh, I think we, some of us tend to want to just do that gigantic leap. Yeah. To be all in when, um, you know, I ha I have been trying to introduce the idea you shared just ten minutes a day of silence. Yeah. Uh, and being present and then practicing the the presence of the Lord with me. Um, and so uh, you know, just if you can't get the book or you can't get the podcast. Uh, just start. Yeah. Do your best to start in those small increments that will make a big impact in your life. So we are grateful to have had Marsha with us today. If you're interested in the recording of her workshop seminar where she really unpacked these ideas, you can contact Children's Ministries. Um, we actually have the recordings of all of these, uh, the disciplines that were presented this year for the first time at ICM. Uh, and so we want to thank you, Marsha. Is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? Well, unless the plan has changed, I'm coming back with okay. celebration. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Another we will, podcast. We will have Marcia here as we wrap up. We have two more of these in the series. One is on celebration and the other one on fasting. Uh, so stay connected with us for that. As we leave today, uh, we are going to ask Joy to close us out with a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time and this opportunity. Um, God, we pray specifically that as we heard about silence and solitude and, and Sabbath, that um, if there's an area in our life that we aren't carving out that time and that we aren't bringing attention to, I pray that we'll be encouraged and inspired and, and challenged to make space for that in our lives, Lord, so that we can hear you, that we can um, just focus and shift our attention to you, but also where we can just receive healing and rest in our body yes. and in our spirit. Yes. Um, God, thank you again for this information. And God, we just pray that it blesses and encourages every yes. listener. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children.